Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I was told to, uh, to interrupt your fellowship because it will carry on, which is good. Good morning. Uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, I am not Boogie. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm here with my wife and my boys, and uh, we have the privilege of leading a church here in town as well. I've known Boogie for years, and I uh, have actually ministered with you guys before when you were down in Dana Point, and uh, this is familiar ground for us. We've been here ministering with Shoreline and done some things here at the school, so uh, we know this spot, but it's great to be with you. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all of those things. Hope it's been a good one. I know many are sick. My, my little big boy is struggling with trying to stay with us today from all the sickness, but uh, we'll trust that I'll be quick, you'll be okay, and we'll hear what God has to say this morning. I do want to uh, thank the team and everything again. It's a great privilege for us. Um, I don't know how how it hits with you guys, but for someone to give me the opportunity to stand and minister to the people God's called them to care for, it's a big deal, because I know Boogie and, and the team here love you guys, care for you guys, pray for you guys, and so handing over the pulpit is not a little thing, and uh, so I don't want to take it that way. It is a great privilege for me to be here, great privilege for me to share God's word, but uh, with family down the street, um, we're just excited about what God has for you this morning, excited for what God has for the year ahead. Looking forward to the citywide prayer time. That is exciting as well. We have a big God, amen, bigger than we realize. And the wonderful thing about God is we don't have to get it all right now. We can't. It would overwhelm us. But in this journey with him, we get to grow every day in a deeper understanding of the bigness of the God we serve. And so this week, as we get together on Thursday and pray, it'll be one church praying out to one God to see him move his mighty hand for our city, for our nation, and for the nations of the world. And so I also want to come behind and encourage you, come join us. Prayer times are not just for the, the holy. God listens to all of us. He listens to us when we have our little moments in the choir. We're going, God, why? And listens to our times when we come together in a big group and cry out to him. I think the church prays too little because we don't realize that if we go to God first, he's the one who's actually able to change every circumstance, and he's willing. Amen. I do ask for amen a lot. It's simply an agreement that you're with me. Make sure you're awake, all of those good things. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. If you would, if you won't, I'm going to turn there anyway. My wife always wants me to remind you that I'm not angry. I'm just loud and excited, passionate about Jesus. Bibles are there, yes, absolutely. Matthew 16, if you're not sure, divide your Bible in half and go to the right a bit. You'll find it. You know, in our faith, and I think not just for our faith, but for the world around us, there, are, there is one great question that we have to be able to answer. It's a question that will face every person who lives, whether they're a Christian or not, when they die and they leave this world. The scriptures teach us that when you die, all of us will stand before God and face judgment. And the question won't be, what did you do? The question won't be, how many times did you go to church? The question won't be, how many homeless people did you feed? Those won't be the questions. The simple question that will be asked, and it'll be probably a little bit different. I'm giving me a little bit of grace here. But it's as Jesus lays out here with his disciples in Matthew 16. 
We're going to jump in in verse 13. Jesus has been teaching his disciples, pouring into them, taking them, walking in miracles, doing all sorts of incredible things. And in the midst of all this, Jesus poses this incredible question. And I trust many of you have heard it before. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. And he wasn't Baptist, he was a baptizer. Some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And this question is one that gets asked around us all the time. Who is this Jesus guy? And in the world we live in, which is very pluralistic, there's a lot of different beliefs, different faiths. Many call themselves Christian, but what their actual faith is is quite different from a biblical Christianity. And so we could come and say, well, the world thinks that Jesus is a nice guy. He was a teacher. He's this fable. He's a crutch for the weak. The list could go on and on, the description of who Jesus is, what this faith is about. And so Jesus is wanting his disciples to understand there's a differentiation. Our understanding, the biblical understanding of who Jesus is, has to be clearly different from the one that the world has of him. Jesus is not our homeboy. There used to be a shirt that came out a few years back, Jesus is my homeboy. No, he's not. Jesus is our friend by his grace. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is, and we're going to go through those things. But Jesus is not just a teacher. Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is not just a historical figure. And so Jesus, after kind of helping the guys get out of their system, what the, who the world says he is, he says, then he asks them, but who do you say that I am? And the question I believe as we look to the year ahead, because today is the, the last day of this year, and if God gives us one more day, tomorrow will be next year for us. God doesn't work in calendar years. He's outside of time. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He existed before anything existed. He'll continue to exist after all this is gone. But tomorrow for us is that point of change, a point of starting again, the New Year's resolution time. I used to run a health club, a gym, and this was the time for all the, the people to get excited. I'm going to change everything tomorrow. So they indulge tonight, and then they change tomorrow, and then it all goes away. But we're trusting for bigger than that today. But this question, who do we say that Jesus is, is a question that if we answer the way that God has called us to and draws us to, we answer with a greater revelation than just what our mind can wrap around. Friends, it will change the way that we live. It'll change the impact of our lives. It'll change the future that we live. It'll change our marriages. It'll change our kids. It'll change our community. Because a deeper revelation of who God is, and I love the way they started this morning, how great thou art. And though it's a little bit of old English and sometimes we wrap our... our struggle to wrap our minds around those words. It's declaring the bigness of what Jesus has done. It's declaring of what's to come after we leave this place and the greatness of our God. And Peter answers Jesus' question. He says, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being." And what I, I don't believe this morning God just wants to get our minds going. That's part of the connect. But the truth about who Jesus is has to go further than our thoughts. It has to go into who we are, the fabric of our being. Because the way that we live is not just changed by the way we think. It's changed by who we actually are. Because we can sit and say all day, oh, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. We can do the whole Christian thing and live in pretense and come to church. And people say, how are you? And you go, oh, I'm blessed. And if they look over your shoulder, they see... Maybe not. 
God wants us to have a deeper, greater, ever-increasing revelation of who Jesus is, what this following Jesus is all about. The first thing we need to understand, if Jesus is who he says he is, by the way, he is, he is your savior, which means he has saved you and rescued you from every sin you have ever committed, ever, in your mind, in your thoughts. And some of us here, we wrestle with past sin. We wrestle with, there's certain ones, God, I can trust you to forgive me, but these I'm still working through. If you have asked Jesus for forgiveness, his blood is enough. You are absolutely, utterly forgiven. Amen? That's a pretty big deal. Some of you who are bigger sinners than the rest should have bigger amens. Maybe that's why mine's the loudest. I don't know. Amen. There we go. Just had breakthrough over in that corner. It's essential that we understand this because if we walk around with a limp, oh, I'm forgiven. And I mean more of a spiritual limp than a physical one. And we still hold on to things that we feel we can't be forgiven for. Friends, how can we tell other people to come into freedom when we don't walk in it ourselves? And as you go into this year, don't go into the year still carrying old baggage. Lay it down at the cross. Lay it down at what Jesus has done. Who do you say that he is? Is he partial Savior or is he the Savior, the Messiah, the one who bled and died on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins forever? And it doesn't mean we run out and do whatever we want to say, oh, I'll get forgiven. It means that we have truly turned to him, truly laid our lives down, truly said, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I am a sinner. You're forgiven. It says you stand before God justified. And many have defined that as just as if I had never sinned. Now that blows my mind because I don't deserve to stand before God in any way. If there's a line, I deserve to be at the back of it. But by his grace, I stand before the Father as if I had never done all the things I know that I shouldn't have. And this morning, some of you need to let that freedom come. Let that baggage be taken off. To not carry on into the next year what you've carried for the past few years or months or weeks or however long you've been walking with God. And maybe some of you this morning don't even know Jesus. You haven't received him as Savior. Maybe you've known him as a church icon or a name that's called upon. But friends, he is the Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father. But friends, he is the way to the Father. He's also Lord. We declare him Savior. Save me from my sins. Yes, but be Lord of my life. Now, this one is usually the tough one. We live in Orange County. We, we are in kind of a, a hotbed of beauty and, and, and finances and all of these abundance that many outside of here don't have. Even the poorest of the poor in our community are wealthier than over 90% of the world. So this thing of relinquishing my rights, especially as Americans, we like our rights. And I'm grateful for God raising us in a country where we can live in freedom. But when it comes to my rights... Jesus is now my Lord. I lay all my rights down. For some of us, there'll be decisions we face today, tomorrow, and the year ahead that we need to relinquish to him. Lord, I, you can decide these things, but not these things. Who do you say that he is? Is he Lord? And you need to give it to him. 
And for many, that's a terrifying thing because you think, but, but I, I trust him in these things, but I don't know about these things. I, I got to make these decisions. Friends, we didn't get into a mess because of his leading. We got into a mess because of our own. It was pretty easy for me to give over the lordship because I made a disaster of things. I knew where the boat goes when I drive. But I think for some of us here, there are areas of our lives where we have not given it, given it over to him and said, you are Lord. Lead me. Take the reins and lead me forward. Why does that matter? The Bible talks about in James, many people say, well, tomorrow we're going to go here. We're going to do business here. We're going to do business there. There's an arrogance to doing it ourselves if we've declared that he's Lord. Instead, we should say, Lord, it's up to you. What do you want me to do? And I want to encourage you. This is not to just break in upon us and convict, but I want to encourage you. When you follow God's leading, there is no greater satisfaction and joy in this life that you will ever find. Trust me. We moved down here 17 years ago tomorrow to start a church. It has gone nothing like I planned. Thank God. Honestly, I had this plan, this dream. I came from a large church and, and all these things and all these ideas and wrong ideas about what church is supposed to look like, what we were supposed to do. It was all about me. And God, by his grace, did not let one moment of it go the way that I wanted it to. But by his grace, he let us touch lives and change circumstances and touch a community and be standing in a friend's church down the road because it's not us against each other. It's us together for the king and his kingdom. Amen? Friends, let go. Who do you say that he is? Is he your friend? Yes. But is he your Lord? Let him be Lord of your marriage. Seek him for the wisdom, husbands, of how to lead your wives well. Wives, seek him to be able to trust your husband to lead your marriage well. For your kids, I got two boys, love them to death, to life. I guess that's not very a good phrase. But I need, his, I need his lordship. Because as hard as I try, and I've got a, a, a sordid past without being really raised by parents or family. So to me, I have no idea what I'm doing. I just admit it. You know, some of us, oh, I got this all squared away. I don't. I want him to be Lord. Help, help me to lead my boys. Help me to teach them and to guide them and to pour into them and make decisions that take them down the right roads and not the wrong ones. Because I say that he's Lord. I say that he's Savior. There's so many other areas we need to be able to answer in this. Who is your provider? Is he your provision or are you? I got to take this job because, because of the money. Well, then he steps back over to who's Lord. But if he's Lord and he makes a way, he'll provide. And being down here for all these years, especially leading a church, there's been times when it was, as many call the 11th hour, and there were more bills than there was money, and it's like, okay, Lord, you brought me here. Can't blame myself this time. But you're also my provider. You didn't lead me to disaster. You led me to faith. And some of us need to trust God in our finances. Trust God in our jobs. Trust God in the day-to-day -day of our bills. You're privileged to be able to give all tithes and offerings. Friends, that's not a demand of God. I don't give to God because I have to. I tithe. I give a tenth of whatever income I have. And on top of that, I want to give more because he's given everything. And he's my provider anyway. I knew when I was my provider and I didn't trust him, I never had enough. And yet when he's my provider and I trust him, I always have what I need. 
I may not have the biggest and the best of those things, and yet I feel we do have an abundance. But I have what I need because he is my provider. I say, Lord, you're my provider. And some of you this year, you need to take that step of trust. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him for where you work. Trust him for what you do with your money. Trust him to tithe and give offerings. Trust him to go bless your neighbor. Trust him for the bigger things of his kingdom. Amen. Again, I'm not angry. Some of you may be mad at me at this point, but that's okay. There's so many things. He's your reconciler. He's the God who draws us back together with him. Jesus didn't die so we could have a distant relationship with God. Jesus didn't die so you could go to church or read a book. Jesus died so that we who had been separated from the creator of the universe by our sin could be reconciled and rejoined to him again for now and for eternity. Friends, if this to you is, is all that you have of your faith, you're missing the great joy of being reconciled to your creator. God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak in you. God wants to guide you and shape you and mold you and help you to discover the very reason for which you were created. Because Jesus is the reconciler. Some of you have broken relationships with family, with friends, with neighbors. God is the reconciler. Let him bring you back into relationship. My dad left when I was three. My mom abandoned me when I was seven. And I just had the privilege of talking with my dad over Christmas. Had my mom out for Christmas. Because God is the reconciler. Not because of all the issues and all the struggles. I forgave them long ago and got on with life. But by God's grace, we are reconciled, and I've been able to share my faith, have them in our home, share a marriage. We celebrate 25 years of marriage this September. I looked back five generations, as far back as I could find, and not one marriage had lasted. The father always left home. So I have the privilege of not only being reconciled there, but reconciling my entire family, because I say he is the great reconciler. Friends, who are you broken in relationship with? Friends. Neighbors, moms, dads, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters. Is he the reconciler? Let him bring you back together. Let him rejoin you together. I'm never going to get through this part. And there's a second question, but let me give us a couple more. He is the healer. He is the healer, not because I say so. But he is the one in the scriptures we read who touches the sick and they are made well, who touches the sick in the mind and they are made well, who touches the paralyzed and they stand and pick up their mats and run. He is the healer of the physical, the healer of the spiritual, the healer of the emotional. God is the healer. Who do you say that he is? And it can be as simple as when you get a headache, where do you go first? Medicine cabinet or to the healer? And I say that to you, and I'm like, yeah, I've gone to the cabinet myself. Thankfully, this is a journey. But I want to encourage you. Ask the God who is able, the God who spoke and you came into being. Ask him for healing. If there are people around you who are struggling with cancer, who are struggling with sickness, who are struggling with, with unable to have children, pray and ask the God who is the healer to heal them and make them well. Because I have seen cancer healed. 
We have two sons that God gave us miraculously, one through adoption and one in a womb of a woman who the doctor said couldn't have children, my wife. Because the God that we serve is the healer. Doctors can only do so much, but God can do all things. Some of you are holding out, maybe for yourselves, maybe for someone in your family or a friend who are struggling with sickness, with disease. Pray and ask the one who is able to do mighty things. I have seen God heal, and to be honest, I've seen God not heal, or at least not in the time or the way that I thought. But I've watched what he's done through the course of our faith and brought other people in and brought salvation, even through someone who, they weren't healed at all. They actually went to be with God. But then I watched what happened out of it, and lives were changed, and people were saved because the healer doesn't just heal the body. He heals the soul. He heals relationships. He is the restorer. Amen? I want to just get this to you. I think I'm scaring them, honey. One last here, then I'll do the second question, which I promise Kim will be quick. I think this one is key, and there are many, many more, and I encourage you to look through the scriptures and write down who do you say that he is. He is, in the midst of our culture today, in the midst of our nation, in the midst of wars, in the midst of all the chaos politically, in the midst of the finances and the disasters and everything else, we are in a place of absolute turmoil. We talk to family and friends who, you know, their positions are one side, their position, they're yelling at each other, cussing at each other, don't want to talk to each other, don't do family things together, all because of the chaos of the world we live in. And we've had some come to us and say, how can you sit and talk with them? First of all, because we love them, even if we disagree with them. But second of all, we're at peace. Because who we say he is, is he is our peace. Is it a peaceful world we live in? Not usually, no, if we're honest. If we take our heads out of the sand and look around, it's a mess. So how can we in the midst of an incredible storm be at peace? Because we say, he is my peace in the midst of the storm. Friends, if your life is in a tough place or even if it isn't right now, you're going to face things. That's the way life works. We need to know and to declare and to have a deeper revelation that Jesus Christ is my peace. I am at peace because I know where I am in him. Even if this life is taken from me, I know where I'm going when I die. The first song we sang talked about that great day when he calls, the great joy and rejoicing that will be there when we stand before him in heaven. You can take my life, and yet I will stand before him for eternity. This is just a blip on the radar of eternity. You and I in Christ have the guarantee that when we die here, we will immediately be standing before the king, and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, into your rest. And for all eternity, we will worship him in bodies that don't age, no more pain, no more dying, no more tears. I am at peace in this world for as long as it carries on because I know he is with me and he's leading my path. And I know that whenever this life ends, what's to come is even greater. Amen? We need to be at peace every moment, every day, every hour because the God of creation is with you, with me, everywhere we go. Who do we say that he is? I wish I had more time to get into those things, but I want to encourage you as the new year comes. Answer that question, because it will determine the steps you take. It will determine the decisions you make. They will be markedly different if you begin to understand more and more and more of who Jesus is.
You'll choose things differently. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. I know we started a few minutes late. I'm not sure how much time I have. Since there's no answer, I'll just go on. That's good. All right. Matthew chapter 3. Yeah, the whole of a red flag in the back. Verse 16. After Jesus' baptism, as he came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son. Whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. Question one was, who do you say that he is? Question two is, who does he say that you are? Because you see, as we begin to settle the issue of who God is and let him be God, let him be Lord, let him be Messiah, let him be all that he is, he then in turn by his grace wants to pour out upon us, this is who I say that you are. And again, I love the thread of this morning because we didn't go back and forth. I want you to sing this song or that song. But there were things declared in these songs stating this very truth that was spoken over Jesus. Jesus came up out of the water. He hadn't done anything of record yet in the way of ministry. He came up out of the water, fully God but also fully man. And God gave him a foundation upon which to live out his ministry. And I believe that foundation is for every single one of us. What God is saying about us is... You, are, you and I are his sons and his daughters. Who am I? I'm God's son. I belong to the king. And I love the fact that there's a spot at the table. I preached on that at Christmas Eve. There is a table with a seat for you and for me and for everyone out there. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. It doesn't make us arrogant. It just helps us to understand the, the reality of who I belong to. For young ladies and young men, it makes us make different choices because God has greater for me, his son. God has greater for me, his daughter. And this year, many of you need to just settle that issue. Who, God, who am I to you? You're his son. You're his daughter. The second thing he says to him is, my son, whom I love. God loves you. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And it says he gave, he didn't come into the world to condemn us, but to save us. Romans reminds us that before we knew God, while we were still enemies, he loved us. Friends, you don't have to earn God's love. You can't. He loved you before you were born. He loved you before you were here. He loved me before I came into existence and did all the stupid things I did that I had to be forgiven for. He already loved me. And the foundation for your faith needs to be built not on, God, can I earn your love? Not on, he loves me, he loves me not, but he loves you. You're a son, you're a daughter, and you're loved by God. And the last thing he said over Jesus is, in whom I am well pleased. And we get back into that religious mindset that somehow I gotta, I gotta do enough to make God happy. I, I gotta stay on the good side of God. Jesus had not done anything other than taken off to the temple when he was 12 and made mom and dad go a little crazy. And yet God said on you, I'm well pleased. Why would he say it then? Why not when he was done? Because the point we need to understand is it's not about what we do to earn God's pleasure. It's about that he's pleased with us already. It doesn't mean he'll approve of every decision we make and the times that we choose the wrong path, but he's still pleased with you. He still loves you. You still belong to him. 
The reason that's significant, sorry, I didn't mean to disrupt. <laughs> the reason it's significant is because we work so hard to be accepted. We work so hard to belong. We work so hard in a world that love is fickle. I love pizza. I love ice cream. I love you. It changes all the time. We work so hard to, to please people, make people happy. And you know what? People will never be happy. You can try and please someone 99% of the time. There will be one moment you're not pleasing them. But the truth that Jesus needed to understand and the truth that I believe he wants us to understand as we answer this question of who does he say that I am needs to be the very foundation of our lives. You are a son or daughter of God. You are loved by God himself. So much so that he came knowing all that you had done and died in your place so that if you'd receive what he'd done, you would be with him forever. And in you, he is well pleased. Just take a moment. I know there's distractions. Just if you would, close your eyes where you are. Just for focus. In you, he is well pleased. Some of you right now run through your mind of all the things he would be displeased with. You're forgiven. Not because I say it, but because he said it. You're his son. You're his daughter. Some of you have come from broken pasts. You are healed by the one who is the healer. You are accepted. You're not a stepchild. You are the son. You are the daughter of God. You're not at the kid's table. You're at his table with him. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He's pleased with you. This morning, keeping those eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to God, to his word, this morning, if you don't know Jesus, maybe church has been simply a religious practice, but this idea of knowing God at the level of being saved and forgiven and a son or a daughter is making your heart pump like crazy inside. I want to give you an opportunity to respond, to begin a journey with him. You don't have to become perfect. In him, you're saved, you're redeemed, you're his. If this morning... You want to say, God, I want to start this journey. Jesus, be Lord and Savior of my life. Without others looking around, I'm going to look as I want to pray for you. Just lift your hand up quick and put it back down. Lord, I receive you this morning. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, this morning we stand together with those who've responded. We thank you. You died for them. You love them. They are sons and daughters of God. And this morning as you begin that journey, it is simply saying, Lord, I am a sinner and I've made a mess. Please forgive me of my sins and lead me from this point forward. And from this point, you begin a journey with them where all of this today begins to unfold. For all of us here this morning, Lord, we just respond. Lord, show us a deeper revelation of who you are and help us to have a, a, a deeper foundation understanding who we are in you. Bless each and every precious soul in the life of this church. Those who are here and those who are away, may this church be transformed more and more. This year, I pray for a rich harvest at Branches Church. This year, Lord, I pray for neighbors and friends and family that they've been inviting to say yes and to come and to receive Jesus Christ. I pray an abundance that will overfill this room, not so that Branches can applaud itself, but so that your kingdom can be filled, so that souls can be saved, so that this community can be forever different. 
We thank you for this, Lord. We ask you for these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. What an amazing way to end the last day of this year. I mean, unbelievable. So Kim asked um, earlier this week if I could close the service, and I started praying, Lord, what would you say to us on the last day of this year as we look forward into 2018? And it came so clearly that this is what God has to say to us as we leave one another and step into a new year. And it's in numbers, and the context is that God told Moses, I want you to teach Aaron and his sons, and they, Aaron was the priest, the, the spiritual leader of God's people at that time, and his sons as well served the people spiritually. I want you to teach them to pray this over my people. And, and it says, so when they pray this, so they will put my name on the Israelites or on my people, and I will bless them. How beautiful. And so I felt so clearly to pray this over us as we go out into a new year. If you will stand. I'm going to ask you if you would just close your eyes so that you can just hear this and nothing else. And if you would just raise out your hand if you want this prayer of blessing over your life, if you would just raise out your hand to the Lord to receive this prayer of blessing that he has given to us as his people, as his followers. And here it is. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.